come out here Saturday morning that is not afraid of heights. Uh, about every two years, we have to rent a man lift and clean out the gutters on the outside of the church. If we don't, the water runs on the inside, down the walls. And on top of that, we've been blessed to have a swarm of birds build a giant nest in each corner of the building. And I don't know what's up with that. We need to clean all that out. So we need about two men that would help him do that. And if you are available Saturday morning, say around 9 o'clock, if you'd let him know, just shoot him a text and uh, say I'll be there. Uh, he would appreciate it very, very much. Also, if you couple of men want to show up, if you're married and would like to bring your wife, Sister Christie's going to need uh, two or three ladies to show up Saturday morning to help her with a project on the inside of the building. So if you folks can help us out with that, we'd appreciate it very much. Also, Friday night, this coming Friday night, we're having a Section 2 youth rally here at Grace Church. It's been a long time since we've hosted a youth rally, and we're excited about it for all of our young people, and that'll be at 730. And then also on May the third, uh, 15th, excuse me, we'll be having a blood drive. We do that often here at Grace Church, and if you can give blood on that Sunday morning, please sign up at Grand Central, and we would deeply appreciate it. If you need any more information about these or any other up-and-coming events at Grace Church, you can go to our website or certainly uh, check it out on your app on your mobile device. So uh, anyway, I have a, I want to thank Brother Jason for his presentation uh, tonight. It, it, it was truly amazing and very thought-provoking. And I come tonight as, as passionate and burdened, if you will. Um, I have desired to teach this Bible study for a number of weeks. I believe it was the last Wednesday night in March. I introduced a series uh, that I'm calling When Offenses Come. And um, kind of gave you an introduction, an orientation in that Bible study that night. And uh, so tonight actually is the first Wednesday night I've had opportunity uh, to continue that series. If you don't remember the first one, it's the last Wednesday night of March, I believe. You can go back to our podcast, our website, and what have you, and listen to it. I want to read tonight from Luke chapter 17, verse 1. Then said he unto his disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he was cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourself. This is Jesus speaking. Take heed to yourself. If your brother trespass against thee or offend you, Rebuke him, and if he repent, continue to hold a grudge and avoid him on every chance you can. Jesus said if he repents, says I'm sorry, and is attempting and committed to change his ways, Jesus said, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. I want to say to you tonight very kindly, this is applicable to family, 
to friends, to church people, to people you work with. It's not somebody from another land that would come and do some harm to you and, and, and some commit some act of violence. This is people you know. This is referring to people you know very well. I want you to notice tonight in Matthew chapter 24, which is the infamous chapter in the Bible where Jesus gives to his disciples signs either of the rapture or his second coming. And he said in Matthew 24, verse 10, This is one of the signs of the end time, of the last days. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. Notice the verse immediately following. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive Many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold, which is going back to verse 10. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. In this chapter of Matthew, Jesus is giving the signs of the end of the age, which I believe is where we're living right now. His disciples ask, of course, what shall be the sign of your coming? And notice one of the signs of his pending return is that many, many, everybody say many, many will be offended. Not a few, not some, but many. First we ask, who are these offended people that Jesus is talking about? Folks, I'm passionate about this tonight. I want everybody to hear me. And there will come a time in your life, either in your relationship with me, possibly my wife, my kids, your family, our church family, that you're going to have to apply this material, whether you want to or not. If you want to be saved, you'll have to apply it. So who are these offended people? Are they Christian people? Or is Jesus referring to society in general? We find the answer as we continue to read. Jesus went on to say, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. The Greek word for love in this verse is agape, and all of you have heard that. There are several Greek words for love in the New Testament, but the two most common are agape love and filio Love. Listen very carefully. Filio defines a love found among friends. That's you and I that really like each other and we have a lot of chemistry and, and we enjoy hanging out with each other and that kind of thing. That's filio love. It's an affectionate love that is conditional. Filio love is an affectionate love that is conditional. It's based on certain criteria. Filio love says, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Or, if you treat me kindly, I'll treat you kindly. But the minute you're unkind to me, then you've given me a license to be unkind back. That's filio love. On the other hand, agape is the love of God that we experience at conversion. Actually, we experience it from the moment we're born until the moment we die. 
It's the love of God that is shed abroad in our heart, the writer said. Agape love is the same love Jesus gives freely to us. And agape love is unconditional. It is not based on performance or even whether or not it is returned. You can literally reach a point where you could hate God and He would love you back. You can talk about God in any kind of way you want and He'll love you back. You can treat Him any way you want and He's going to love you back. That's agape love. It is a love that gives even when it's rejected. So without God in our life, we can only love with a selfish love, one that cannot be given uh, if it is not received and returned. However, agape loves regardless of the response. Agape is the love Jesus shed on us when He forgave from the cross. So the many that Jesus is referring to in Matthew chapter 24 is Christian people who have had or experienced a relationship with God, who has experienced agape love, but it has grown cold. The love of God is no longer active in them. There are people who have experienced it, who know it, who recognize it, who knows it, Jason, not statistic-based or hero-based, but relationship-based. There's a scripture in Proverbs that really hits me hard because as, as I try to be and I attempt to be a most transparent pastor, probably one that more so than the rest, if you will, I try to be honest with you. I try to be transparent. The reason this scripture convicts me so bad is because I've been guilty of offending people. And what hurts me really bad is when I say I'm sorry and I repent to those people, they won't let me back into their life. I told you Sunday morning that Wednesday night's an important church service here at Grace Church. We don't go through some kind of spiritual semantics and and just kind of shoot the breeze and have a nice little social function. You're here tonight for a brain stretch. You're here tonight for a heart stretch to see how alive your Holy Ghost is on the inside of you. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19, the wise man said, A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions, conflicts, debates, disagreements, arguments are like the bars of a castle. What we don't realize, and I'm going to take you through a process here tonight, and it'll take me a few minutes to do it. But what we don't realize is when we are hurt by somebody or offended by somebody, I want to tell you tonight, this is the most prevalent problem in virtually every church of every denomination. More people quit church and their relationship with God because they've been offended over any other reason 
That is a fact. People have done surveys through the years. And when people get their feelings hurt, they say, I'm not going to live for God. I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit around and backslide and go to hell. Excuse my harsh term, but bottom line, that's what it boils down to. But this is the number one reason of all Protestant denominations that causes people to quit their relationship with God and to quit going to church. What we do when we are hurt and offended is we construct walls to safeguard our heart and to prevent any future wounds from happening to us. And without really realizing it, we become selective. We deny entry to those that we fear will hurt us especially those in the past that have. When people are hurt by a preacher, I'm the last guy they want to see when they come to church. And oftentimes they'll get so hungry for God, they'll tolerate the preacher. But they don't really forgive the preacher. If people are hurt at the hands of a church person, They will label everybody in the church. It's all a bunch of hypocrites. It's a bunch of ho-hum. It don't amount to a hill of beans. And I'm not going back. Folks, you know what I'm saying is true. Some of you have heard it, and some of you have done it. Thankful God brought you back. So we become selective. We don't realize we're doing it, but we're doing it. Now, I want everybody to learn this. I want you to hear it. When you're offended by someone... The first thing you're going to do is start picking out people that you think you can trust. And you're going to deny everyone else entry into your life out of fear that you'll be hurt again. So we filter out anyone that we think owes us something. We will withhold access until these people have paid their debt in full. There are some folks that I've hurt their feelings. I don't think I'll ever be able to make it up, man. There's not enough I'm sorry's. There's, not, there's nothing else to do. I literally offered here a while back. I'm so burdened tonight, I don't know what to do. But I literally offered to someone in my office several months ago, I'll get on my face and crawl to your feet if you'll forgive me. We open our lives only to those who we believe are on our side. Yet often these people who are on our side are offended people as well. We, that's what we have in common. Hey, sis, I need to talk to you for a minute. I know so-and-so hurts your feelings, and man, I just got my feelings hurt. Can we talk about it for a minute? And all of a sudden you have this chemistry. You have this bond, and it's based on offense. It's based on hurt feelings. So instead of helping each other, we help each other stack additional stones around our existing hurt lives. And we build the wall thicker, and we build the wall taller. And without our knowing when it happens, these walls of protection literally become a prison. We literally incarcerate ourselves in our hurt feelings because our hurt feelings after a while become bitter feelings. 
I've seen gifted, talented people because of their hurt feelings. They may not give up on God. They may not quit church. I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek. They come. I don't know what their relationship with God is when you act like that, but they'll say, I ain't doing nothing. Got my feelings hurt. I'm not doing nothing. It's it's the maturity level of a three- or four-year-old child that says, I'm going to take my toys and go home. And these walls of protection that we build around ourselves become a prison. We self-incarcerate ourselves. And at that point, we're not only cautious about who comes in, but now we can't venture out. That's why we don't participate. That's why we don't show up. That's when you quit using your gifting. That's when you quit singing. That's when you quit teaching. That's when you quit being involved. And if you're not careful, you'll quit praying. And you'll quit reading your Bible. And now you're just going through some kind of a robotical motion. It won't, you want to convince everybody that you're okay, but God knows the heart. And He knows whether or not that we've really forgiven and that we're making a recovery and a comeback. So not only are we cautious about who comes in, but now we don't venture outside of ourselves because of fear and terror that somebody may hurt me again. The focus of offended Christians is inward. It's introspective. We guard our rights and our personal relationships carefully. And our energy is consumed with making sure no future injuries will ever occur again. Notice on the screen right now. If we don't risk being hurt, we cannot give out unconditional love to anybody. Because unconditional love gives others the right to hurt us. It's the ultimate level of Christianity. What did Jesus do when he was having his hands nailed to the cross? You know, there's a lot of folks that I know that can act like a Christian until they get hurt. So I have a question tonight. If you can act like Christ, the big question is, can you react like Christ? So what did He do when they were nailing His feet to the cross? What did He do when they crushed that crown of thorns on His head? What did He do when they cursed Him and mocked Him and reviled Him and pulled His beard out by the handfuls? What did He do? You know what He did? When it was all over and they couldn't hurt Him anymore. Brother James, they hurt Him. All they could hurt Him. Do you understand that? And when he realized, I, this is my belief, this is Murphy commentary, I believe when he reached a point where he realized that they can't inflict any more pain on me. They've nailed all the nails they're going to nail. They've used all the thorns they're going to use. They've whipped me as many times as they can whip me. They've cursed and mocked. They've pulled out my hair. They've beat me with rods. They've let me thirst and hunger. They've stripped me naked. And when they realize where he reached a point where he realized they can't hurt me anymore, his reaction to that was simply this. Father, forgive them. 
Somebody asked me one time, a number of years ago, the church was in Baker. Said, Pastor, I've watched, you know, people, families come and go, and man, you and Sister Murphy just pour yourselves into people. And for no apparent reason, they just get up and walk out the door. How can you do that over and over and over? It's making a feeble attempt to try to learn how to love people like Jesus did. That's what we try to do. Not always good at it. I prayed about it yesterday and I prayed about it today and asked God to help me not only to act Christ-like, but to react Christ-like. I'm going to tell you one thing, and I want everybody in this building to listen to Pastor real carefully. You don't have a right to ever get up and walk out on Jesus. I don't care what happens. You go through what he went through for you, and then he might talk to you about it maybe. Love does not seek its own. But hurt people become more and more self-seeking and self-contained. In this climate, the love of God waxes cold. And when we filter everything everything through past hurts and rejections and betrayals and negative experiences, we ultimately find that it's virtually impossible to even believe in God. We can't believe He means what He says. I have to be real careful, the person sitting in the building... But I talked one night years ago on a Wednesday night, a series of things about bringing it back on the Ten Commandments. There's far more to that, folks, and we don't even scratch the surface. Lord said, honor your mother and father. When the disciples asked, Jesus, teach us to pray, he did. <laughs> Not by memorizing a prayer, but taking them out on a stormy sea. They learned how to pray. Be careful what you ask for. But he said in the prayer, the Lord's prayer, Our Father, which art in heaven, someone approached me and said, I could never look God look at God like a father. If you knew anything about my father, you would understand. Regret that statement. My heart still goes out to that person. But I don't care how you've been treated, how, by who. God is not ever, never, ever will treat you like that. And I hope we understand. I hope we understand. And we have to be careful when we've been offended because if you're not careful, your offense towards a person will ultimately turn to God and we begin to shut out. Folks, I didn't, you know, I, I'm not going to apologize. I, Brother Jason talked about this being heavy tonight. Well, I'm, I'm putting some weight on that. We need to know God. Offended people will even try to find Scripture passages to back their position. But Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, Rightly divide the word, the word of God. You rightly divide it. And it has to be weighed out with other scriptures and what have you. The knowledge of God's word without the love of God in it is a destructive force because it puffs up with pride. Jesus was crucified by the Jewish nation, bottom line by the Pharisees, in the name of the word of God. He is a blasphemer, they said, based on scriptural record and what was recorded in the law of Moses. This creates an atmosphere in which we can be deceived. Oh, yes, it does. 
when you start interpreting the Word of God to back up your cause, the Bible is not given for any private interpretation. And when you start using it to back up your cause and to justify your attitude, and you know, even Jesus got mad and cleansed the temple. Yeah, but he forgave them after that. That was included in that prayer on the cross, you understand. If you're not careful, your unforgiving spirit can turn you into someone who can be easily deceived because you begin to massage the Scripture and use Scripture to back up your position and what have you. And because knowledge, knowledge without the love of God will lead a person into deception. Let me be real plain here tonight. I know a lot of people. I was born and raised in Baton Rouge. I've lived here virtually all of my life, except for about 10 years when we were gone in ministry. I know folks, I know Pentecostal people, I know them for days. And there's a lot of folks that I can take you virtually to the time and place where it happened or the process began that have ended up letting go of what the Bible has to say about lifestyle. They don't believe that anymore. And I can take you to now Pentecostal UPC preachers that will tell you that water baptism in Jesus' name is no longer essential and that the infilling of the Holy Ghost is not necessary and it's an option. You know what happened? They got their feelings hurt by somebody. And that's where it started. I can tell you tonight, I know what I'm talking about. I can take you down that path. That's where the Bible teaches to guard your heart. And when you start interpreting and applying the Word of God without the love of God, it will leave you to lead you to deception. Jesus warns when he said in the last days many shall be offended the very next verse says and many false prophets will arise. You know why? The devil sees a vulnerable crop of what used to be good solid Christian church going God loving people. They've gotten their feelings hurt. Who are the many that's going to be deceived by these false prophets? The answer is those who's been offended and their love has grown cold. And folks, I don't mean to sound judgmental here tonight, but they're all over this area. They don't believe the Word of God anymore. They don't believe. And a false prophet came along. Jesus calls false prophets wolves in sheep's clothing. They are self-seeking men who give the appearance of being Christians, sheep's clothing, but have the inward nature of a wolf. You know, wolves like to hang around sheep. They can be found in the congregation as well as in the pulpit. And they're sent by the enemy to infiltrate and to deceive. 
Notice the screen. They, people like this must be identified by their fruit, not by their teaching or prophecy. Often the teaching can appear sound, whereas the fruit in their lives and ministries are not. A Christian, a Christian is what he lives, not what he teaches or preaches. A Christian is what he lives, not what he says. Words don't mean anything to me. It hasn't for years, even as pastor. Words don't mean anything. It's what people do. I want to take it a step further here tonight. I love our Sunday morning altar services. They're mighty. They're powerful. The Spirit of God works and what have you. And where I love and enjoy seeing people come and commit their lives to God and pray through circumstances and situations in their life and they're healed and all of that, I like to watch what happens on Monday morning. And Tuesday morning, I like to see what happens when you get clipped by somebody and they hurt your feelings. I like to see how you react when someone disciplines your child for something they didn't do. One of my most glorious moments as a child, and one of the very few times, Sister Landry, my dad took my side. I know the story by the back story, and I'm not going to get into that tonight, but anyway... There was a particular usher in the church where I grew up that didn't know the meaning of the word smile. He had a very bizarre interpretation of the word joy. He said he had it, but you never seen it. The man was a robotical mannequin walking around the church with that same stern look on his face that just said, I dare you to say something to me. Well, I was guilty of what he chewed me out for doing but not on that occasion I had done it but just not on that time <clears throat> it was a door kind of like our sanctuary doors right there you know had handles on both sides and as a little kid I'd open them big old front doors of that church open wide open and I'd grab each handle and pick my feet up and swing that door shut and it was just a fun you-hoo ride Woo! Had a little mini festival right there on the front porch of the church. Well, I did that several times, but that particular time it was another kid. And I'm not going to say who. I'm not going to throw them under the bus. But this usher went to my daddy after he reamed me out and started chewing my daddy out that he needed to watch me more. And I'll never forget it. My daddy was about 5'9 and weighed about 160 pounds. Growing up as a child, I was terrified of him. Looking back, a stiff breeze, I think, could have blown him over. But he had that head usher in the back of the corner of that church, and he had a nub thumb over here. He said he wore it down strumming a banjo for the Salvation Army when he was a kid. That was a joke. He actually got it cut off in an oil field. Anyway, but he'd point that finger, and he was giving that usher the what for, buddy. You leave my kid alone. I'll watch my kid. Don't you say nothing to my kid. And I'm like, yes, for once, he took my side. He actually believed me when I said I didn't do it. It was very rare. I don't even know why I told that story. 
just sounded good at the time. But Jesus said, that was nice right there. I hope the Did live stream pick that up and that noise out of the crowd. Y'all don't edit that out. It just gave a nice effect. So, <clears throat> But wolves always go after the wounded. They go after the young. And they go after the new. That's where it's pastor's job especially not to lord over the flock, but to watch over the flock. These wolves will tell people what they want to hear and not what they need to hear. These wolves, these people don't want sound doctrine. They want to say what they agree with or what is in line with their preferences or their parameters. Again, I have to be careful because the person is sitting among us tonight. But told Sister Murphy and I just several weeks ago, and I have more respect and admonition for that than I can even express tonight. I just admire this person. But someone invited them to a church that is a completely different ball game than we are. The whole law of the Word of God has been abandoned and all that kind of stuff. And this person said, I couldn't go to a church like that. I may not be everything I'm supposed to be, but I can't go to a church that would condone it. And boy, I admire that kind of conviction, that kind of tenacity, where people can agree that, you know, I may not be living for God the way I should be, but I'm sure not going to go somewhere where they'll tickle my ears and tell me it's okay because deep down inside of me, I know what's right and I know what's wrong. I thank God for that kind of conviction tonight. Paul wrote Timothy and said, This know also in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce-breaking, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. This is a group of people or within this group of people, were people who once had a relationship with God. I don't believe you can blaspheme God without knowing God. But when Paul describes this environment and this culture, does this sound like real spiritual church people with a real forgiving spirit to you? I wouldn't want to go to that church. But he went on to say in verse 5 that these people mentioned in this scripture setting in verses 2, 3, and 4 went on to say in verse 5 that they would have a form of godliness. Men who are lovers of their own selves are covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. The kids are disobedient to their parents. They're unthankful. They're unholy without natural affection. They're truce breakers, false accusers, and so on. And then he went on to say, and these people have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Turn away from them. Don't go there. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, the scripture's paralyzing to me. Paul said, for the time will come when they, referring to these people, will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust. Lust is a longing, a desire especially for what is forbidden. Shall they heap to themselves teachers, have an itch in ears. Tell me what I want to hear. 
tell me what, you know, you, you help me nurse and nurture my offense and my hurt feelings and my deceived spirit. Help me feel better about myself because deep down inside I know I'm not right. He said they wouldn't endure sound doctrine, which is to have sound health, to be well in body, figuratively to be uncorrupt. That's true in doctrine. Instruction, the function or the information. The word itching is to scratch or tickle. It's used in a passive voice, metaphorically of an eagerness to hear. It's, it's literally itched as to hearing of those who, not enduring sound doctrine, heap to themselves teachers. They'll turn away from the truth, he said. They'll turn away their ears from the truth. It shall be turned into fables. Notice, they will have a form of godliness or Christianity but they will deny its power, which has its roots in an unforgiving spirit. And they'll boast of being followers of Jesus and proclaim that their new birth experience, but what they boast of has not been allowed to pierce their heart and bring forth the true nature of Christ. So Paul wrote that these deceived men and women would have a zeal for knowledge but remain unchanged since they never apply it. He described them as always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And I was thinking of that scripture during Jason's presentation. If Paul were alive today, he would grieve to see what he foretold has come to pass. He would see multitudes of men and women attending camp meetings, seminars, conferences, church service, amassing a knowledge of the scriptures. But he would watch them hunt for new revelation in order to live a more selfish, successful life. He would see people running from church to church to escape offense all of them professing the lordship of Jesus while they cannot forgive. Paul would cry out, Repent and be free from your deception. Jesus said, folks, many will be offended. And they'll betray one another. And they'll hate one another. If you look closely, you see a progression. An offense leads to betrayal, and betrayal leads to hatred. As we said earlier, offended people build up walls for protection and our focus becomes self-preservation. So we must be protected and safe at all costs and this makes us capable of betrayal. We'll do whatever it takes to protect ourselves, even betray our own. I've seen families do it. I've seen moms and dads do it to their kids. I've seen husbands do it to their wives and so on. When we betray, we seek our own protection or benefit at the expense of someone else usually someone with whom we are in relationship. Thus a betrayal in the kingdom of God comes when a believer seeks his own benefit or protection at the expense of another believer. Betrayal then leads to hatred with serious consequences. The Bible states clearly that anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and no murderer has eternal life abiding in him, according to 1 John chapter 3. How sad that we can find example after example of offense, betrayal, and hatred among Christian people today. And it's so rampant in our homes and churches that it's considered normal behavior. It no longer surprises us when Christian couples sue one another. Church splits are common and almost predictable. Ministry politics are high and, and they're played at an all-time high. It disguises as being in the best interest of the kingdom of the church. Christians are protecting their rights making sure they're not mistreated or taken advantage of by other Christians. If you have a chance, 
read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 7 through 10. I don't have time to read it tonight. It talks about there, there's a fault among you and, and what have you when you've been wronged by people. It's what you need to do. I think a lot of people have forgotten the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, and I'm wrapping this up. Jesus said, but I say to you, love your best friend, your mom and daddy if they treat you right, your siblings if they treat you right. Love those that you love. And let's form this big line in a cotton candy spiritual factory. It's not what he said. He said, love your enemies. Someone said one time, you might as well, you made them. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those that hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you, persecute you. What about Philippians chapter 2, verse 3? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. I don't know why we struggle to live by these laws of love. Why are we so quick to betray rather than to lay down our lives for one another, even at the risk of being cheated and hurt? The reason? Our love is cold, which results in our still seeking to protect ourselves, and we can no longer confidently commit our care to God when we're trying to care for ourselves. When Jesus was wronged, he did not wrong in return. So we must come to the place where we trust God and not our flesh. Many give lip service to God as their source, yet they live as orphans. They take their own lives in their hands while they confess with their mouth that he's my Lord and my God. But by now you can see how serious the sin of offense really is. Jesus said for you to offend someone, it'd be better if a millstone, I don't know if you've ever seen a millstone, they're about that tall, it's a solid piece of rock. They're about three to four feet in diameter and eight to 12 inches thick with a hole in the middle. And they put a long stick or, or limb in it and it goes way out there and an animal, a horse or an oxen, goes round and round and they pour corn down in that thing that grinds it up. Jesus said, this isn't putting a cinder block around your feet like the mob does sometimes. This is probably a two to three ton piece of rock. Jesus said, before you offend someone, it would be better if a millstone was tied around your neck and you was cast into the sea. That's what he thinks about people who offend that do it liberally. And if not dealt with, offense will eventually lead to spiritual death. But when you resist the temptation to be offended, when you look at that sweet brother or sister, when you look at your pastor in the eye and say, you know what, you just crushed me. But I love you anyway, and I forgive you. You glorify God. You glorify the Word of God. You glorify the kingdom of God. You have no idea. Now, I was born at night, but I wasn't born last night. I know all of this sounds really cool in this real sweet, comfortable atmosphere. But as God lives... It's very possible and very probable that somebody is going to hurt your feelings really bad. It's going to happen. What's important is how you react to it.
I'm going to ask you to stand with me tonight. And I know, Jason, you started this off heavy, and I guess I'm going to end it heavy. I'm not naive. I know that there's folks here tonight that are carrying things in your heart. You don't mean to, really. I don't know of anybody here tonight that's malicious and cruel and mean and mean-spirited. Well, maybe one or two. I'm kidding. I think you're a sweet bunch of people here tonight. But if there's something going on between you and someone else, I've spent, honestly, I've spent the past several days soul-searching myself. I want to be right with God. No matter what it takes, I want to be right with God. As the old saying goes, I may have to eat crow, and I'll put as much sugar on it as I can, but I don't want to be lost tonight. If I've hurt your feelings, forgive me. And if you've hurt mine, I forgave you when it happened. I want us to pray that God would help us tonight. Let's plead a blood covering on our heart tonight as we conclude this service. Father, in the name of Jesus. Oh God, the people around the world, untold thousands, yea, millions around the world that aren't serving you today because they've been offended. There's people all over Baton Rouge, East Baton Rouge Parish, Livingston Parish, Ascension Parish. You can go on and on. The trail of offense can trickle through this state and around our country. That people refuse to walk in the door of a church because they've been offended. It didn't matter if it happened yesterday. It didn't matter if it happened 50 years ago. It's still as real today as it was when it happened. And they can't get past it. Pray, God, that you would help those people. Let them feel the love of God. In our state of abstinence, in our state of offense, when we abstain from godly and spiritual things, we don't even think about the offense that we're causing to you and to your kingdom. God, I pray that you would speak to every person in this building tonight. I believe the Bible requires of us spiritual maturity. And you've warned us that these things were going to happen, that these times were going to come. You're not going to stop it. You're not going to prevent it. But what you can do is equip us and empower us to deal with it properly. And I pray, God, that we could be true Christian people, not only in the way we act, but in the way we react. I pray tonight that you would be with Grace Church. Plead a blood covering over this church tonight, over our attitude, over our spirit, that we could truly love one another in your kind of way. It's love unconditional. Whether it's returned or not, we love you anyway. Bless tonight, I pray. Keep us close to your cross. Keep us bathed in your blood. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Thank you for being here tonight. Make plans to be here next Wednesday night. We're going to keep this going. I don't know how next Wednesday night will go, but let God challenge your heart, your mind, and apply when the time comes. God bless you. Shake friends and be handy. Greet our guest. If you don't know him, introduce yourself to him. Q8 somebody. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday morning. Don't forget to call Brother Merrill and Sister Christy or text them if you can help Saturday.